Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, we need your support more than ever. If you want to get ad-free versions of the show, check the show notes, click on the link. It takes just a minute and you will get them for $5 Canadian a month or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. Thanks a lot. I want you to imagine a list of the worst Canadian TV shows of all time. Now imagine a list of the funniest Canadian TV shows ever. Now think about a list of the most successful Canadian television programs ever made. Well, there's only one show that would make it onto all three of those lists. And that show is Kenny versus Benny. Glory for the winner. Humiliation for the loser. This is Kenny versus Spenny. In each episode, supposed best friends Kenny Hotz and Spencer Rice were shown to compete in challenges like who can stay awake the longest or who can gain the most weight. The loser would have to endure a frat house humiliation like eating apples out of a toilet or running through the streets naked. The first season of Kenny vs. Spenny ran on the CBC, with the closing humiliations airing right before The National. Grandparents tuning in a minute early to hear Peter Mansbridge read the news would catch a few moments of Spenny sponge-bathing an old man, or Kenny brewing coffee through a pair of used underwear. It was soon cancelled. But as the legend goes, Kenny vs. Spenny was then picked up, in the U.S., by Showcase, and by Comedy Central, where it became a massive international hit. We have the stars of the hugely successful Canadian TV show Kenny vs. Spenny, which can now be seen in America. Kenny Hotz and Spencer Rice are here. National heroes in Canada. The format of the show was sold to 50 different foreign markets, which produced local versions, such as Ed vs. Spencer in the UK, Juan vs. Roman, in Colombia, and Sid versus Varun in India. Sid versus Varun, do camine. 
हाय वेलकम टू सेट वर्सेस वरुण हर हफ्ते की तरह इस हफ्ते भी हम लेके आए हैं एक यूनिक कंपटीशन हु कैन एंडियोर द मोस्ट टॉर्चर देयर वर अ फ्यू इयर्स देयर वेयर केनी वर्सेस स्पेनी वाज अ वेरी बिग डील बट एज द शो वोर ऑन द कंपटीशंस ग्रू मोर एंड मोर डिस्गस्टिंग एक्सट्रीम एंड बाय टुडेस स्टैंडर्ड्स रॉन्ग फॉर एवरी क्लासिक केनी वर्सेस स्पेनी एपिसोड लाइक हु कैन ब्लो द बिगेस्ट फार्ट Ah, I'm going to look like Brad Pitt the second I let this baby go. So, yeah. Or who can wear a dead octopus on their head the longest? I'm like so sick of wearing this stupid thing and fucking reeks. There were many others, like who can keep a dump in their pants the longest? All right, let's do this. Time it's shit time. It's time to shit. Who do black guys like more? Spenny has no black friends, none. I've got at least 3 of them. 3. And who can get further with the other guy's mom? wasted like i'm seriously drunk and she's drunk and i can't bring myself to actually do anything garden variety sexism like who can bone more women devolved into who can squeeze more boobs which was sort of a remarkable episode of television in terms of the sheer number of seemingly real acts of assault it casually depicted i'm sorry girls i'm getting some good coughs man i'm coughing some good feels man Excuse me, sorry. Now all of that might explain why some today might be unfamiliar with Kenny versus Benny. I mean, the culture has moved so far away from their kind of content so rapidly that it's almost as if Kenny versus Benny never happened. The show has been called a cult hit, which kind of feels right and explains its obscurity, but it's not really accurate. Kenny versus Benny was a mainstream hit. one of the biggest shows this country has ever seen but the series and its stars have kind of disappeared they released their final season in 2010 and when i was trying to launch canada land in 2013 i knew kenny hotz had a reputation as a massively successful figure in canadian tv who was willing to talk massive amounts of shit about the canadian tv industry to anybody who'd listen And so he was on the very first list I ever made of guests to chase for this show. But he turned me down flat because I was told he just didn't see an upside in publicly shitting on Canadian TV executives. And after all, he was still trying to get his projects made. Well, that was 7 years ago. And in the time since, you know, Kenny has done a show for FX called Testies, which lasted for one season. Another series for the now defunct Action Network here in Canada is called Triumph of the Will. That one was 6 episodes, and he's also done some videos for Vice. And that's about it. He owns a bar here in Toronto, and he lives with his wife and their three young daughters. He has consistently said that he would do another season of Kenny versus Spenny in a heartbeat if only a broadcaster would greenlight it. And he's pissed about that. And so, I asked him again, 7 years later, if he would finally come onto Canada land, and he said yes. Kenny Hotz spoke to me while under self-isolation from his parked car. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Cassandra Rosen, Chris Laporte, Colin Dacri, Hannah Rabinovich, Kara Zames, Katrina Gower, Maya Samson and Paul Jorgensen. Hi, I'm Paul Jorgensen and I'm a public servant in Ottawa. 
I support Canada Land because I find that in English Canada, we are inundated with American media, American news, American pop culture. And I think it's healthy for us to spend a little bit of time each week listening to Jesse and his guests talk about Canadian issues from a Canadian perspective. And I'm proud to support that. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're, if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Once again, it's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Yeah, uh, I'm a Forest Hill Jew. But we were, the, we, were, we were poor. You know, I grew up with billionaires. Where did you grow up? I'm a Forest Hill Jew. Oh, are you? But, no. you, but we went to China House and everyone else went to Chan. Chan was for birthdays. Chan was for special occasions. We, I, I, I took my mom to Chan once like 10 years ago and she started crying. Oh. <laughs> it's too expensive. What are you doing? <laughs> and of course it was terrible. It didn't make sense to me that you were from Forest Hill because you don't seem like a Forest Hill Jewish kid, but Spenny seems a bit more like that. Spenny's Rosedale. He went to UCC. Oh, Jesus. And like Thornton Hall or something. Yeah, it, it's pathetic. Um, First of all, I... I love you just because of Gameshi. I hate, we hated Gameshi so fucking much. He was the creepiest. We, every girlfriend I ever had, the second they met him said, keep him away from me. But yeah, this is, this is, I'm a big fan, by the way. Um, I have a hard time with Canadian journalism. I like to see myself as the antithesis of Canadian content. More of a, a global genius. What's wrong with Canadian content? Listen, I I'm a, I grew up on the NFB, so one of the greatest film boards in the world. And, and, you know, there's certain Canadian stuff I love, but I think historically it was very Christian-based and highly moral. And 
you know, my family's sat around a table our whole lives that we never mentioned, Saskatoon. And, I, you know, I find grant systems kind of a form of censorship in a sense because somebody has to judge whether you deserve to be, whether you're appropriate for funding. Listen, what's wrong with Canadian funding? I'm not sure if you've ever seen The Trouble with Tracy or um, Party Game. There, there's been some duds, but there's duds everywhere, you know. SCTV, to me, is the greatest show in the history of television, second only to my own, you know. And being Jewish, too. Like, you know, they used to call us wine and shyster at the CBC because we were, like, the first Jews on TV for, like, 30 years. Kenny, I'm so happy to be talking to you. I had heard that you were willing to talk shit about the Canadian content system seven years ago. And you wouldn't talk to me about this. I, people said, you got to talk to Kenny. If you want to... If you want to bitch about this, this is the guy to talk to. And it took us seven years. Well, I don't really want to beat that drum and bitch on the system because I, I milked a shitload out of it. But, you know, I I do content for the global village. I think, you know, people are the same everywhere. When we did Kenny versus Spenny, I would systematically cut out Canadian dollars or anything that had to do with Canada because I wanted just to seem like a generic city anywhere in the world, like uh, like Seattle or Chicago or something. Of course, it was 100% Canadian, but we are such Hollywood star fuckers that, you know, we wanted to kind of be part of that system. And But, I, you know, I lived in L.A. for 10, 11, 12 years. I came back, you know. I, I prefer being here. You have this whole pre-Kenny versus Spenny media existence. You were a, like a war zone photojournalist? Well, I was, uh, for my bar mitzvah, I bought a Canon... AE1 and started taking photos. My brother was like the greatest artist in the world. His life drawings got him into med school and he was a shitty student. But because he was such an incredible artist, I was always so pissed off that I couldn't draw that I, I figured off, you know, I got into photography and, and movies. You know, my our parents sent us to film school, NFB film school at the Harborfront Ice House when I was like six years old, mm -hmm. where I directed my first film, which was a cartoon. But, you know, we were rabid TV watchers and I grew up with all Canadian content. And I, I'm a huge fan of Canadian content. I, I'm not a huge fan of shit content. I just love great stuff. And I, I wish I probably if I was shittier, I'd, I'd be better. You know, I probably have more cash and more fame, but... You know, I kind of feel like I, I'm Canada's Sid Barrett. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just an egomaniacal narcissist. It sounds like kind of a love-hate thing. If you were like, learned how to make films from the NFB, and you think SCTV is the best show ever made, and then CBC gave you your big break, how could you hate Canadian content? Canadian content sort of made you. It was very good to you. You know, take Tom Green, for example. To me, Tom Green, who is one of my closest friends, was revolutionary, a Kaufman-esque fucking, you know, his stuff was so incredible and funny. And CBC offered him a pilot and didn't pick him up. And, you know, a week later, the guy's on the cover of Rolling Stone. And we were kind of the next guys in line that had a pilot from L.A. And I think the CBC went, oh, shit, we fucked that up. And then they, you know, thanks to John Moranis and Peter Sussman, who we grew up with, bamboozled us a series and, and you know, we didn't fuck it up, thank God. But, you know, it became like a catch-22 where it was during the genre of, of Tom Green and especially Jackass where things were so crass and rude and 
we were kind of a spinoff of that kind of crass rude humor, which I'm kind of embarrassed about. But, you know, how do you compete with South Park and Family Guy and Jackass when these guys are sitting in outhouses going upside down, covering themselves in shit? Like, it was uh, a genre piece. And the humiliation at the end of our, our show was really just a Tom Green Jackass vignette that we added to the end of the show to kind of emulate their brand in a sense it was organic and it worked i didn't feel like we actually stole anything in fact those guys were actually watching the show knoxville and and uh, spike jones and matt and trey were watching it as well just because you know we were pretty honest and original and part of the zeitgeist which was nice because we deserve it i lived in la in a garage for fucking six years without a car like it sucked we were destitute and broke we definitely deserve this, you know, C-level celebrity cult fame we have. But but again, you know, you could say that there was a vacuum in Canadian content at the time, as I find there is now for comedy a little bit, though people would people would disagree. Oh, great. Here comes my kids to ride their bikes. And it was because of that vacuum and because we were the antithesis of morality that the show popped because our audience was so fed up with fucking littlest hobo and these other shows when i I, spending wore makeup and i didn't because i i wanted to be like dogma i thought when people are changing channels and they see this like panda with aids uh you know they're like holy shit what is this and it just you know for me that was just real and i wanted to be as, (laughs) as real and as honest as possible yeah i think tina face said something about how comedy likes banged up faces like it's not good if everybody looks too slick I think after a big part of it, too, was after 9-11, people were just so sick of fucking bullshit. You know, after watching OJ in that car and that fucking building collapse, they just couldn't deal with this fucking hokey network bullshit. It was just kind of real. It's Well, you know, you know, you, you can mean, probably explain it better than I can. I was kind of trapped in it, but I, I loved it. To me, it's the funniest TV show ever. You know, I, I was just watching an episode the other day and howling. I'm kind of proud of it, though. Matt and Trey said that it, it was highly moralistic and, and we never exploited anybody. Like, you know, if I had some Down syndrome kid say Spenny molested him, I didn't call the kid a retard. We became best friends. We were self-deprecating. And when we do who the gay guys like more, we both try to have sex with a gay guy, which embarrassed, you know, some of our jock shitty homophobic audience. We do who could drink more beer. and We didn't glorify beer. We made... Spenny looked like a disgusting alcoholic and we do who can smoke more weed and it's fucking gross, you know, and, and Jackass and Tom Green kind of loved what they did, whereas we victimized ourselves and we hated what we did, which made it kind of real. The reality is the audience is the sick ones. It's the gladiator ring. They're the fucking scumbags who we had to diddle. They were the cruel ones. I had to destroy my best friend's life and relationship for their joy even though it was probably his fetish it still it was still very unique to me it's a it's a special show and people fucking it's got a half billion views on fucking youtube and and i still like walk down the street and you know i remember seeing john candy at lawrence plaza and we got on the ground and bowed to him and kids 10 year old kids come up and do that to me now which is it's i i fucking love it so i love the fame spenny hates it like to me I I am so happy. Uh, I can't tell you. I I love it. You're working out a lot of stuff, Kenny. I don't even know where to begin. 
I feel like I should give you some kind of context or ground rules for this conversation. First of all, I think the show is very funny. In a sense, it was very much a document of this moment where, with along with Jackass and Tom Green, I don't know what you want to call it, no brow, gross out, or people call it, you know, fratty jock humor, or or just like the, the comedy of disgust. But at the same time, it was like a classic Catskills comedy duo. You're the maniac, and he's the neurotic. It goes back to like the essential units of comedy in a lot of ways. Like, I, I don't know. I can, I can look at it a lot of different ways. It's the best. It's the funniest show ever. I'm not even going to touch that. You didn't exploit anyone. I just watched an episode where you had like a, 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 a guy with, uh, I guess, dwarfism, a little person who was dressed in a diaper. And that was wasn't saying, me. Wah, baby's thirsty here. Can I have a bottle? Where's my bottle? Spenny, Spenny, I, I nodded my head and I said, this is disgusting and you should not do this. This is bad for you. You gotta stop. You gotta keep stop. going, keep going. No, you gotta stop doing this, honestly. This is not right. He's totally exploiting you. And Spenny should have Spenny is the scumbag. Spenny's the twisted, angry, neurotic villain in this. I would never do that to anybody. And like, you watch that and what did I do? I said... Dude, put your clothes on. He's exploiting you. This is not good. Like, stop this right now. I'm not gonna do. It. I'm not falling for it. You want you want me to put you on trial? Like, you 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 have to take responsibility, of course, for a depiction on your TV show. You can't make that Spenny's fault. Like that was on your show. I wanted to show you that so that you would know how what a disgusting, depraved, fucking scumbag he is. That's why that was in there because the mo the, right. the important thing for was for me to make him look bad. And for me to look great, because I am a little narcissistic, but that 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 was fun. You know, the duality. All I wanted to do was just get the audience to laugh and like me. And because they're so sick, conflict is comedy. So the worse he looked, the funnier it was and the better I looked. I don't even want to. It's not even interesting. This is blaming the audience now. And then this idea, like, wh what I like about the show is you can say anything you want about the show, but it's honest about what it is. But that was one moment of dishonesty because you you definitely used for laughs that this guy was in a diaper saying, I'm a baby, I'm a baby. But then you say, oh, Spenny, you're exploiting this guy and that's supposed to let you off the hook. I didn't like that one moment, but it, it doesn't matter. Like, I didn't know he was going to do that. I had no idea that you, I, I've never even met that guy. I sat there and he surprised him with me. So this wasn't pre-written or anything. It was like filming Spenny was like a, a nature documentary. Neither of us really knew what each other were doing. Yeah, I don't want to do that either. Like, I think that there's a, there's a, you've done a thousand interviews and one of that is, oh, did, was that real or not? It's clear to me that, that the show uses elements of reality, uh, but is, but is a constructed piece of comedy that has kind of a traditional three act structure to how the whole thing goes. The episodes all have like a, a format, which you sold around the world to 50 different, which is just, that's just staggering to me. And then are we going to hold you responsible for your crimes against humanity in the year 2020? Like, it's not great that the show has your gay, you're gay as this like you know you're a retard as the joke you know every five seconds it's also a product of its time and i'm not i'm not here to moralize you yeah I, listen i'm I, i'm not i'm not happy uh, there's certain things i'm not happy about but you know the beatles get back is uh, you know i read is about immigrants going back leaving england so so who like who fucking knows what context is but the the fact is i'm a good loving person and you know i I, uh, I'm happy. I like myself a lot. <laughs> a yeah. Lot. Yeah. Less and less every day, <laughs> but still a lot. 
look, I, like I say, I enjoy the show, and I think it's a really interesting thing to look at, which is why I want to talk. I mean, I, I, I was watching a lot of old interviews with you, and it's interesting how you, you're saying that you feel like uh, the show was really about something. You said it, it exposed moral truths about shitty humanity, and it, and it exposed the male ego. And that I was thinking about, I'm like, well, was this show like an expose or a satire of the male ego or was it reveling in the male ego and, and the, the competitiveness between male friends and pubescent or prepubescent comedy of disgust stuff? Like it, it's, it's a celebration of that stuff more than it's like a rejection of that stuff. I think maybe that was just a natural dynamic of our character, you know, maybe it's just... Mm-hmm. And, you know what Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy were like together. I, I don't know. And, uh, you know, you click into character. I, I never competed. Spenny and I never really competed before, no. before this or, you know, we're not. Comp- I'm not a competitor. I hate fucking sports. I, 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 I really hate sports. Like, I hate the co- competitive nature <laughs> of society. I, I think in sports we should like come together and build like a tower like the spanish and put a little kid on top of it and try to accomplish her- these herculean tasks as opposed to try and get some stupid fucking piece of plastic in a in a hole so you thought i was going to be mean to you in this interview but i see you in interviews protesting that the show is actually complex and has a lot to say so I'll, it sounds like you want to be taken seriously i'm going to take you very seriously here's my most pretentious analysis of kenny versus spenny so there's only two kinds of comedy is this philosophy that I'm getting wrong, but I think this is basically it. There's, there's the white clown and the red clown and the white clown takes himself really seriously and wants to have a lot of pride and dignity, but is a ludicrous figure. And essentially it's because you, you know, he, he can, he can try to have dignity as much as he wants, but he's a clown and it, it all kind of ultimately it's like he's wearing a death mask and it's sort of an existential humor like a mime yeah and the red clown is goofy and garish and in your face and is farting and shitting and the comedy is just about falling down and that's that's the only other kind of humor is just the most basic uh corporeal bodily functions funny thing is i i i turned spenny into both of those clowns and tried to stay out of looking like a clown well you are a clown you're the red clown aren't you aren't you like shameless you know the white clown is full with shame that's spenny and the red clown is just an absolute goof doesn't give a shit and there's such joy in watching a screwball maniac rascal character who just does not have any of the hang-ups we have and is like you know whatever you can put it any way you want you're the id he's the ego right it's just it's the basics i i don't really want to be seen as a clown though like i i thought i was like you know kind of better than that like i i didn't want to kind of be embarrassed so you you don't see your like you shit your pants on the show and walked around. I'm really embarrassed about that. Like that, that was the one show that I, I really, we kind of got caught up in, in, in that. And, and so, so that was, that was just cringy to me. I can't even watch that show. Like to me, that show was just so, so terrible and, and embarrassing now. Like that's a show I, I'd be embarrassed if my kids watch. So we made mistakes. Like I'm a fucking, like I'm, I, you know, I'm some, I'm, I'm a fucking idiot. I, I, you know, I can't be perfect all the time, but I think all in all, um, oh, and, and another reason is I think, you know, our, the, the fact that we're so successful is because we're so crass, but that's the reason why we're not on Netflix now is because part of the reason why executives don't understand how popular and how much we mean to the millennials or, or our demographic, because they, they can't, there's a separation between our kind of popularity and our content and, and them just seeing us as jackass when it, it wasn't that at all. It was uh, to me, it was complex and 
and it did have a there was a kind of message in it. I, I, I don't have the authority to absolve you for your sins, and I'm not really comfortable judging you for them either. It is what it is. You you, you, you made the show, and I do think that, that the, the the real thrust of the humor was uh, self-abuse and abuse of each other. I think that that can be said pretty... Yeah, it was very self-deprecating, you know what I mean? But uh, but I've made a lot of content, and, and my stuff is not just self-deprecating, but does, you know, poke fun at the, you know, man's inhumanity to man, and just how shitty we are as a species, and and, you know, I'm kind of a dick and uh, I like people getting their fucking just desserts. Like, I, I love me, too. I think these scumbags deserve to get fucking crushed if they're assholes, you know. To look at it like that moment of Tom Green and Jackass and Kenny versus Spenny, this kind of genre of guys flipping themselves overboard in outhouses or shit like actually comedy with shit and the bodies of dead animals and sexual, like all of this sort of like self-degradation dares and the kind of hazing-ish kind of stuff. I notice it was all white guys. It was, it seemed like it was only white guys too. What, what do you think about that? What, do you have any, any thoughts on why it was? Well, first of all, I had one black guy, Mike Latchford in my, in my grade in grade eight, uh, and he was my best friend. There's no, there's hardly any black people here. You know, when you go to Atlanta or Chicago, you're like, oh my God, this is America. So, it, you know, it's just the, the, the population demographic. But we, you know, we, we you know, I had, you know, uh, I, I didn't really care. We, you know, we did who can make out with more chicks. Uh, one of the girls was black or we had, I had Thor carry me up and down the stairs. It's just, it's just Canada. You know, I was probably one of the only few people in my group who had black friends or you know Chinese friends or whatever my dad used to say my bedroom looked like the cafeteria at the UN and that, that's true that's a real fucking joke that my dad told me because you know I was my girlfriends were so multicultural you know but that's, that's what happens when you go to public school in Toronto and you, you you're a foodie and you want to eat fucking Tibetan mutton and and duck you know Chinese duck or you know whatever whatever other cultures we were, we were lucky enough to interact with. And, you know, people, when, when, and when Forrest Hill went Chinese, a lot of people there said, Oh, he's fucking wait, It's all Chinese. I was like, whatever makes more, you know, Chinese restaurants. That's all I care about in the fucking city. Like they were growing up at Bathurst and Eglinton. You think there were no black people? Like, I wish there were, but you know, that's what happens. Fuck. Go, go to Victoria. You know, it's like shit's crazy here. It's really, it's really different. And then living in the U.S., I was so happy that I was like, oh, great. Now, you know, I can be friends with, with, um, you know, different people that I haven't had, you know, on the West Coast of America that I haven't had, really had the ability to interact with. You know, it's impossible to get a, a patty or a roti out there in L.A., but, you know, all of a sudden I had like insanely amazing, you know, Somali or Ethiopian or, or you know, Bangladeshi or, you know, um, Albanian food stuff that we didn't really have here or, or Russian stuff, you know? Um, but, uh, I, I don't really, I, I, that wasn't intentional or anything. That's just, that's just Toronto. Now things are different. Immigrants actually, Toronto was a, you know, growing up, it was a shitty place where a lot of people were assholes and the, the influx of immigration actually made everyone nicer and, and made it cooler. And so I'm, I'm cool with that. But it was a bunch of, you know, white guys who were dicks mostly, you know. You made a, a series of choices as to how to interpret that question. As uh, 
the responses will be yours to live with. I'm not a racist, so. Let me try that a different way. Yeah. I can see things a couple different ways. Like, I can see what you did and what Tom Green did and what, what you know, Jackass and, like, I can kind of almost see it in, in a lineage that starts with, like, Monty Python. These were, like, British guys who were sent to, like, the finest schools, and they were kind of handed the crown of, like, this is what a dignified, patriarchal, like, a British gentleman is your birthright and what ripe material for comedy, right? If, if somebody does you the favor of giving you that role, then you just, you know, dress up in a, in a, in a, in a dress or shit your pants or make, make fun of that dignified character. And so the, the relationship between whiteness and that kind of gross out humor might be just that, that like, why are, why were all these kind of like punk rockish kind of suburban or, or middle-class white kids, the ones to like hump dead moose and shit their pants because maybe that's just funnier and maybe that's just like a funnier joke if it's a white guy doing it. That's one way I could think of it. You know, I was just, to me, Kenny versus Manny is just trying to make my, my brother and my friends laugh. You know what I mean? Because I, I knew they were watching it. So, and my, actually the crew, I surrounded myself with friends in the crew and they were such cynical dicks that it was so hard to make them laugh. But I was really just performing for them in a sense. And, and that hopefully, you know, migrated through the camera a bit. That's sort of a highlight of the show is the crew. And there's a weird tension there where you can't tell if they're like kind of on the team and having fun with you or if they're like, fuck, my job, I have to like smell this guy's. Yeah. That this is like a, a workplace issue. That doesn't look faked at all. It no, like no, the crew it was actually just, you know, Tim Conway laughed on Carol Burnett. So or, or people laugh on SNL. I, I, uh, I, you know, I. Like I say, I'm I'm glad it was just natural and honest. So, and I think people were fed up with just the bullshit of of you know. And, and going back to Canadians like Agoyan or Cronenberg or these guys, it was so. I don't know. I just found the Canadian films were just so like obnoxious and moralistic and pretentious. It was like oh, crazy because I was a filmo. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm watching every incredible filmmaker all over the world and the Canadian government's giving $20 million for passion fail. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, it's so annoying. You know what I mean? And they just didn't, you know, they just didn't have this kind of natural global sensitivity. It was Canadian for the sake of being Canadian. And that, that made me crazy because I, I'd, I'd, I'd go to TIFF every year and I'd literally sit in the fucking theater for six, five, six films a day. And when I did see something Canadian, it just stunk, stunk of pretentious self-fucking gratification. It was just so cheesy and hokey and some stuff, you know, I can mention 30 Canadian fucking films that I loved. I don't think Canadians can even mention three. There could be incredible content out here. And um, unfortunately, historically, some people handing out the cash... I've been a little more, you know, concerned about, you know, whether it makes it into con as opposed to whether it makes it onto, you know, people's computers. You know, this a country that has made very few Canadian comedies. You know, we 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 got canceled on CBC. We were the number one show. People just didn't appreciate our humor and our, you know, je ne sais quoi. And then we got to America and they got it instantly. It was like, oh, fuck, it's so refreshing. It worked and we got lucky and I'm not, I'm not mad or about anything. I think I'm so fucking lucky. It's crazy. I never want a fucking Gemini. We're on, we're on comedy central. They're giving Gemini's to the guys 
who wrote the buzz and we never got shit. Like it was, it was really, it was really depressing. Like for some reason people just ignored us and uh, it sucked, you know, and it's tough. It's tough to, you know, have a half billion views and to be one of the most famous Canadian comedies in the history of the country and for people not to give you respect. I demand respect. You wore a dead octopus on your head. You shit your own pants. Yeah, and they still never know. They still didn't notice. And you know what? And Diplo and Kardashian, and there's like, we got fans who are like, Octopus was one of the greatest Canadian episodes in the history of Canadian television. We were the diplomats of Canadian content. When you went anywhere in the world, people thought, oh, Canadians are such losers and, and they're always so polite. We showed the world uh, that we are like, though some of the worst people on these were some of the worst people on earth and extremely funny and i'll go down i'll walk down the street in hamburg and we get chased you know and listen i love everything i'm totally happy but you know a gemini would have been nice you know seriously like we're literally like guys in fucking nairobi are watching our show u.s forces are are watching our shit in tanks driving into afghanistan like like you know some recognition for our accomplishments spreading Canadian content globally would be nice. Yeah, aside from the cash and fame and super hot, gorgeous wife and beautiful kids and lots of money. Kenny, I would think that the the actual reward would not, like who gives a shit about a Gemini? I, 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 I would think that after you had a success on the scale that you had, and this is something that I felt was true of the kids in the hall as well and others, the prize you'd think would be a career it is but you know i'm a i'm a i'm a bit of a suck ass and i would like some recognition would be nice and, and yes i got i did get some but we're on comedy central on fucking comedy central and there's no recognition for it like who the fuck is on comedy Central? what canadian shows are on u.s networks and cable networks not that i don't i honestly don't care and i'm not mad about it but you know i see other shows over the years that have a facade of being popular and they're getting tons of kudos and accomplishments. I just think they could have, they could have tossed us a bone here and then and said, you know, thank you. Sure. But what I'm more interested in is this thing that I've been talking about with lots of people on the show and not just comedians. Like it's, I've talked about this with members of the kids. I've talked about this with uh, Stephen page of the bare naked ladies. It feels like there's almost limits to Canadian fame. Like there's no second acts in Canadian public life. You can't reinvent yourself in some David Bowie or even like Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell did like comedy that a lot of people considered pretty juvenile. And now he's like executive producer of Secession, you know, like a premium HBO show. I would have stayed. I would because I'm an artist and a filmmaker. I think I, I could have I would have stayed and made incredible content and high budget features and different genres. So so um, which is another which is one of the reasons why it's kind of upsetting that I never really got that that shot in a sense i you know I, I i never really fought for it because i'm too cool for cash like i don't really care about making money or or really working too hard so i don't it's kind of a scummy for me to say hey give me awards so i can direct big movies in la but like you know we were crass and people mistook us for being kind of disgusting as opposed to being a narrative sitcom about two friends and it's really show about love in a sense as opposed to jackass or those guys so but but again look even jackass made gabillions 
and Knoxville had respect, which is fine. I don't want to talk about that because I, I, I feel respected anyhow. And I'm, I, I, I feel like I accomplished unbelievable dreamlike goals. So I'm fine, but you know, it'd be nice to go to Trudeau's house or, you know, hang out with, you know, Neil. When you're living with Matt and Trey and they're telling you you're a genius and one of the funniest people on, on earth. The fact nobody else notices it does get a little annoying, but uh, I, but again, I don't want to harp on it or even say I care about it. And I, I'm still, you know, right now I'll give you an exclusive that there is some serious talk about the series coming back. I've never said that to anybody. I will say that to you. And I'm currently working on the possibility of the show returning. More of a chance of it happening now than ever before. It'll probably happen. Well, I know that you don't like to talk out of hand speculatively about stuff that's in development that's never going to happen. So if you're sharing that there's a good chance there's going to be another season, thanks for the exclusive. My guess is that you're probably going to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, things fall through, you know, we're probably all going to die. There is that. Shit like this interrupts it, but it's good that things are getting shaken up. I feel like coronavirus presents possibilities for Kenny versus Penny episodes. Well, I don't really like doing stuff, you know, in Kenny versus Penny that's time-based or anything. Like, my journalistic news stuff that I go out where I'm kind of a gonzo journalist, like the Millennials, Geraldo or Anderson Cooper. I did that Trump thing with Spike Jones and Viceland, and I did a couple with them. And, and to me, that's really my joy, is going out and doing, like, hard-hitting gonzo journalism. We didn't get to that. Before we go, talk to me about your interest in journalism. Because we mentioned that you used to be a photojournalist, but you didn't really talk about it. And then more recently, you've been doing these live hits where for Vice, you were going out and, and interviewing people and, and you're doing other stuff like that. Like, what is your interest in, in news journalism? Well, I just like being dropped somewhere and having to create gold out of nothing. So it, to me, it's the hardest thing in the world to do documentary because you're, you're just planted somewhere and you have to create something funny, you know, so you're just going out in a place you're trying to find out what the true story is. And I think to me, there's a vacuum that there's nobody to represent the millennials and people are shitting on these kids going out and, and being in parks and not giving their distance and stuff, but it's because they don't trust the media. And why don't they trust the media? That's not their fault. That's their, their product of their environment. It's the media's fault. So I wanted to, I think I, I have the possibility of becoming one of the only trusted news sources for my demographic because they trust me and they believe me and I'll kill myself to tell them the truth. I think I should be on CNN or Al Jazeera or, you know, I think I'd make an incredible comedy journalist. I think there's a vacuum now in comedy journalism. I think there's a vacuum in news. I think I'm a piece of a puzzle that should probably be out there. Not that I'm going to fight to do it because it's a lot of fucking work and I'm 53 and I'm getting old, but, uh, which is part of the pathetic, you know, the fact that I'm old and that I don't really care that much or the fact that I'm self gratifying and I'd like to spend my money in a James Beard restaurant instead of going out there and finding the news is funny as well. Cause I'm so kind of shitty. Like I said, yeah, I did a show called, uh, Trying for the will. Did you see Take My Mom, Please, or? I did. My old widowed Jewish mother has been alone for decades. My challenge is to find her love. That was surprisingly, that was, it was very sweet. It was sweet. But no one's ever done a show about a, a son's love for his mother. This is real stuff. Like, you know, real story that exists everywhere in everybody's fucking living room. You know, you could walk up to somebody on the street and I could get a 
an incredible fucking story out of them because everybody's got one. So that's kind of like a joyous detective type of fun thing I have is kind of getting that out of nothing, the ethereal nothingness of life and finding these very intricate and, and incredible kind of stories and showing a basic human truth and trying to be funny. But whatever. Right now I'm fucking cleaning diapers and making KD. So the juxtaposition of my life being like a, a cult celebrity and selling out shows and like Thunder Bay and then coming back and just scraping fucking dried noodles out of my couches. It's so crazy. My life. So to summarize, millennials can't be held responsible for ignoring the self-isolation rules and congregating. It's actually the media's fault, but that could be fixed if you were on CNN because they'd listen to you, but you're not going to bother because it's too much work. But that would actually make the content even better, the fact that you don't care. But no, I think if it wasn't so corporate and everybody didn't talk the same and the people responsible for putting people on air were cooler, then yeah, of course we'd have incredible, we'd have more news. But because... Massive corporations run multi-organizations and there's a certain stereotypical type of journalism that, that look at you, you, look at you, God Gameshi. I'm sure everybody was saying, just shut up. Don't like, fuck it. We do not need this. Like how many people came up to you and said, do not like, just let this go because you were, you know, infiltrating a really old prehistoric culture, especially in this country. And, and I'm sure people hated you for doing that. Uh, we loved you. And we were so happy that someone was shitty enough to do that. And finally, you know, that's real journalism to me. That's really popping a story. And I don't think we, I don't think people go out there and hoofing anymore like they did in old, like, Cary Grant movies with they have press in their hand. Oh, we got to go find a story. Let's go get the story. Nobody actually goes out there and gets their own stories. That's what I like to do because, you know, I grew up on those movies. So I want to be that gumshoe journalist that goes and finds a, the most important story in the world. I, you know, I want to fucking Pulitzer because I demand respect because I've been working so hard trying to teach these kids how to fucking, you know, be good people and not do shit for money or destroy the fucking planet. And I think we'd all be better off for it. But, you know, you can watch my call. You can watch my stuff and make a decision for yourself. You know, I, I don't, I have no mandate. I, I have no corporate agenda. I, I'm, you know, not that smart. You know, I never really finished university. I, I uh, don't really read, so I'm kind of like a genius idiot, but I still maintain likability, which is incredible. Kenny Hotz, you're a complicated guy, and uh, I'm grateful for the nice things you said about me, and, and I, I'm grateful that you uh, took all this time to talk with me. Thank you. I lie. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to take you out. If my bar ever opens again, if I don't have to torch it, then uh, I'll take you out. But we should be. I, I'm surprised we weren't pals, and... I should have called you because I did have some really good, like, insane news stories for you. And uh, I'll be your CI, your secret CI. I'll give you some real good stuff to write about. That is your Canada Land episode. If you liked it, join our supporters. Get ad-free versions of this. It's a good thing to do. Just click the link in your show notes. It's pretty easy. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send me. 
We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. Listen, there are big political decisions being made in this country right now about the way that we are going to transform this country in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. And you need to stay on top of that. And we have a podcast called Oppo that is going to help you do that. They've got a new episode out this week. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca.